Let's open our Bibles to uh, the book of Zechariah. This evening, um, we'll be looking at the, in chapter 13, it's only, 13 only has nine verses, and there's 21 in chapter 14, and they do tie together, so I thought we would go through it all in one evening. So let's look at chapter 13, verse 1. The reoccurring phrase in these chapters I mentioned last week was in that day. It always refers to um, the tribulation period. And in that day, verse 1, a fountain shall be opened for the house of David and for the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for uncleanness. So in that day refers to the tribulation. Chapter 6, verse 17 tells us that this is the wrath of the Lamb. Tells us in Romans that I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, um, uh, concerning the, the fullness of the Gentiles, that there is a certain amount of Gentiles that will be saved, and then the Lord will come take his church home. I wish that was sooner rather than later. But then it goes on to say, and then I'm gonna deal with Israel. So the primary purpose for the book of Revelation and the great judgments that are poured out is the Lord really dealing with, as we're gonna see tonight, cleansing false prophets, false teachers. But the primary purpose is to get um, the Jewish people who have not become believers, uh, messianic, there are messianic believers who believe that Jesus is, is the Messiah. The majority do not. And so when the Lord does come, we know from Daniel 9 verse 27 that he owes a seven year period of time to Israel. We call it Daniel's 70th week. 69 are fulfilled. Clock stops. We have the church age that you and I are living in right now. When that last person that is the fullness of the Gentiles, the implication there is there's a set number that the Lord has. And when that person comes to Christ, we're out of here. But then the clock begins to beat. And the first thing, I make the point of saying that God always leaves a witness. Old Testament, it was Israel. Sometimes good, sometimes bad, depending upon who was king. Interesting in what's coming up this week, isn't it? (laughs) Good or bad, all depends upon who becomes king. And then, after the Lord has dealt with Israel during this period of time, um, there will be those, a remnant and part of this chapter tonight is very, very difficult to teach on because of how many Jewish people are going to perish during this period of time. And we'll get to that eventually. Um, but it talks about them in verse 9 of refining them as in fire, as gold is tested. And that's the purpose of the tribulation, is to deal firmly judgments and calamities where they're basically broken and eventually they do call out on the Lord. 
So that's sort of an overview. But as we look at this, this first verse here, in that day, um, during the tribulation, uh, he's going to deal with the inhabitants of Jerusalem for sin and for their uncleanness. So that's the main purpose of this seven-year period of time. Now in verse 2, it says, It shall be again in that day, says the Lord of hosts, that I will cut off the names of the idols from the land, and they shall no longer be remembered. I will also cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. Well, when the country was divided, and Rehoboam, son of Solomon, took Judah and Benjamin in the south, um, there was the 10 northern tribes. And instead of having the people go down to worship where they're supposed to in Jerusalem, two golden calves were built, one in Bethel and one in Dan. And that's where they stayed and that's where they worshiped. Of the 20 kings in the north, I always get mixed up, it's either 19 or 20. But either way, there was not one good king. It says they all did evil after the... um, uh, the, the sins of Jeroboam. And um, uh, in the south, there were 19 or 20 kings, and only eight of them were good. So as we look at this here in verse 2, where it talks about the idols, we're not talking about the golden calves. But um, they had, what could you liken them to? Um, superstitious little idols. You guys ever see um, in some people's cars an, an image or a little statue of somebody because it's supposed to keep you safe while you're driving? That's the kind of stuff we're talking about here. There's absolutely nothing to them at all. Um, and they have different things um, that they Instead of worshiping the true and living God, they would look to this idol. Well, that's what's being made reference here. I will cause the prophets and the unclean spirits to depart from the land. And what what that's a reference to prophets, we're referring to false prophets that will be prophesying during this period of time. And of course, an unclean spirit uh, to depart from the land. Now, what's interesting about this is... This verse here is the only verse that speaks of demons not being in the kingdom age, in the whole Bible. What happens to them? I don't know. But during the millennium, and during this period of time, he'll be driving out false prophets. They're gonna, they're gonna um, be such, it says, before the Lord does rule, while he's cleaning house, He's going to be very, very firm with the false prophets as we're going to read in in the next verse here. But this verse tells us that Satan will be bound, we know, um, at the end of Armageddon, according to chapter 19, and he'll be bound for 1,000 years. And then he's going to be released again. But there are no other during 
entering into the millennium, no more demons. Wouldn't it be great to be living in an environment where you have the perfect king, the perfect environment, and no hassle from uh, demonic forces that say we do not, you know, it tells us we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. The real struggles, and sometimes you wonder, why am I feeling so weird or whatever? A lot of, a lot of times, it's like um, Satan asking Jesus for Peter. Hey, Peter, come here, I want to talk to you. Satan's asking you. He wants to sift you. And I often wondered, what, what does that mean, sift? Well, you ever feel like you've had a sifted mind? <laughs> I had. And just going through things, you go, what in the world is this all about? Well, it's spiritual. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities in high places. How wonderful to know that during the millennial reign, they're not there. All that part of it is gone. So let's go on to verse three, still cleaning house here. It will come to pass that if anyone still prophesies, then his father and mother who begot him will say to him, you shall not live. This is pretty heavy. Because you have spoken lies in the name of the Lord, and his father and mother who begot him will thrust him through when he prophesies. Uh, This is strong language. But the day is coming when God's children are going to put him first. Um, They betrayed him the first time he came. But in that future day, they're going to be faithful to him, even to the point of a son, your son or your daughter, prophesying falsely, um, will be put to death. So uh, the severity and the seriousness of this is laid out for us in verse three. Um, Now in verses four and five, uh, it shall be in that day that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies. They will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceived. Now a sign of a prophet going back to Elijah. Uh, We had the study about Elijah, 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 and then John the Baptist. And what all three of them had in common was their garments. Uh, We learn more about it um, with Jesus talking about John the Baptist. Who did you go out to see when you went to see John in the wilderness? Some guy all dressed up, some reed blowing in the wind, some wishy-washy guy? And he, he says, no. He's the greatest man who ever lived. And uh, he was known because he ate locust. I guess locust must be good for you. And uh, honey. And he had a coarse camel hair um, garment on. And that was acknowledgement of being a prophet. Well, there's these false prophets, and they're dressed up like a prophet. That's what this verse is saying here. And it shall be that every prophet will be ashamed of his vision when he prophesies, they will not wear a robe of coarse hair to deceive. So people perceived them as being a prophet just by the way they looked. And they would, uh, a lot of them would listen. And, but now they're confronted with the Lord himself 
and it tells us that they will be ashamed of their prophesying and what they're saying. But he will say, now this is the prophet, verse five, I'm no prophet, I'm a farmer. For a man taught me to keep cattle from my youth. He had a change of his job description really quick. And um, he's not only ashamed, but he says, look, I'm just, just a farmer, I'm going back to the farm. And when the Lord comes, uh, the prophets will be ashamed and um, they'll be taking off their um, their cloak of deceit. So um, that's basically verses four and five. Verse six, I mentioned on Sunday, and someone will say to him, what are these wounds in your hands? And then he will answer, well, those which I was wounded in the house of my friends. Now, to better understand this, we're, we're having different things happening here because in the very next verse, it's a prophecy that's fulfilled in the New Testament. So we have the Lord cleaning house here. And now if you go back to chapter 13, the question is being asked, where'd you get those wounds in your hands? If you go back to chapter 13 and verse 10, again, I said this is difficult for me not being Jewish, knowing the Lord, but if you're Jewish and your lifelong dream and hope, is this the generation where the Messiah is gonna come and set up his kingdom? Is this, this is what they longed for, this is what they waited for? only to realize that when the Lord does come, in verse 10, and they realize who they killed in 32 AD. Let's pick it up in verse 10. I will pour out on the house of David and the inhabitants of Jerusalem the spirit of grace and supplication. And they will look on me whom they have pierced And they will mourn for him as one mourns for his only son and grieves for him as one grieves for his firstborn. In that day there will be a great mourning in Jerusalem like the mourning at Ahadad Rimon on the plains of Megiddo. And the land shall mourn every family by itself. And the idea here is, you know, the biggest trial you've ever gone through. And... um, Uh, You don't want to have a prayer meeting at that time. You don't want to go to a worship service. What do you want? I want to be alone. I just am in such a state at this point where I need to to reflect on something maybe that you've done, you're ashamed of. Here, their hope, everything they put their hope in, they realize it was really Jesus. And if you're Jewish, and you find out that Jesus was the Messiah all the time predicted, this is their emotional state of being, these verses that I'm reading right now. Uh, The house of the family of David will mourn by itself, their wives by themselves, the family of the house of Nathan by itself, their families by themselves, the family of the house of Levi by itself, and their wives by themselves, the family of Shimei by 
by itself, and their wives by themselves. All the families that remain, every family by itself, and their wives by themselves. They're letting this come in, and now we're reading chapter 14. Somebody's actually going to come up to him and say, where did you get those wounds? Oh, in the house of my friends. It's really in the house of my family, my people. John 1, 11, I quote it quite often. He came unto his own, and his own did not receive him. They rejected him. So, how does God get their attention? Well, again, this is the reason for the great tribulation. He's gonna take them through the fire to a breaking point. But before we get there, and as we teach through the Bible chapter by chapter, verse by verse, I point this out often because I want you to see it as being um, um, the norm rather than not the norm. So now we're changing gears completely and we have a prophecy. And it's about when Jesus is smitten and what happens after he is smitten. Let's read it, verse seven. Complete change of thought. Awake, O sword, against my shepherd, against the man who is my companion, says the Lord of hosts. Strike the shepherd, and his sheep will, scat- will be scattered. And then I will turn my hand against the little ones. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 26, New Testament, and um, draw your attention to verse, this would be right after the Last Supper. Um, and I like this because after they had the Last Supper, it says they actually sang a song. Verse 30 says that when they had sung a hymn, this is after supper, uh, they went out to the Mount of Olives. Then Jesus said to them, all of you will be made to stumble because of me this night, for it is written, and he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep of the flock will be scattered. So this is clearly an Old Testament prophecy, and um, Matthew comes right out and says um, that, it, that it's written, and then he quotes Zechariah chapter 13, verse seven. Now look at verse 56. This was all done that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples forsook him and fled. It's another way of saying the flock scattered. They all took off. And they all went in different directions. And um, so um, Zechariah, let's go back to Zechariah now. Verse seven is a completely different change of thought. It talks about the Lord being crucified when they came to arrest him. And when they arrested him, uh, they all scattered. Now, picking it up in verse eight, again, now we're coming back to the Old Testament, uh, but it's referring to, uh, again, the great tribulation. And these are the... I Again, hard verses to read. Uh, verse 
we'll read verses uh, um, eight and nine. And it will come to pass in all the land, says the Lord, that two-thirds in it shall be cut off and die. Let that just sink in for a little bit. So during this period of time, I mentioned on, on Sunday uh, in Revelation 12 that um, many of these Jews will be supernaturally protected for three and a half years in Petra. Remember I took you to Isaiah 16, we read about Selah, and protect my outcast from the extortioner. He wants to destroy him, he sends an army out after him, but they're supernaturally protected. So then was the last verse says, and in uh, chapter 12 of Revelation, so the dragon went to make war with the woman. And again, there's been a couple times in history, actually it was in my notes on Sunday to go to Esther, because it's in the book of Esther where the complete annihilation of the Jewish race was asked for. That's everybody, all Jews must die. In our time, I referred to Hitler on Sunday. Uh, that was his goal. Um, of course, he wasn't successful. But during this period of time, what we read in these verses here, two-thirds of all the Jews are going to be killed, probably as a result of going to make war with the woman who is Israel. But then it says this, but I will bring one-third through the fire. Now this is what we call the remnant. And I will refine them as silver is refined. Peter, when he talks about trials and fiery trials, he says, um, it's like gold being refined. Well, how do you refine a piece of gold? You keep melting it down. The impurities come to the top, and by the time it's done the last time, uh, they judge 14 carat, 20 carat. I mean, the, the quality of the gold, that's how it's determined, the purity of it. So a third of the people that are being refined, we read here, like gold, is tested. And when they finally get to that point of being in that place, of being tried during this terrible period of time, what is the result? Well, it says... And they will call on my name, and I will answer them, and I will say, this is my people, and each one will say, the Lord is my God. This is at the end of um, the great tribulation period where Jesus Christ comes back. Now, we were there on Sunday, but I want to re- refresh your memory with this by, by taking you... Um, to Hosea chapter five. So let's, I'm gonna give you a minute to go there. Hosea five, got it marked here somewhere. There it is. Very interesting verses. And basically, verse 15 of chapter five of Hosea says, I'm going, to, I will return again to my place. And the point that I made on Sunday, in order to return to a place, it means you had to be in that place in the first place. So basically we're talking about um, the Lord going, ascending back into heaven. But then we have until. 
until they acknowledge their offense. And again, the point I made, it doesn't say offenses. Some of your Bibles might say sins, until you repent of your sin, singular. My point is, it isn't their sins, all of them. It's their one sin. There's only one sin that we call the unforgivable sin. It's called the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. It's the only sin God can't forgive. Because what the blasphemy of the Holy Spirit is, is when the gospel of Jesus Christ is being preached. And you understand exactly what's being said. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him will not perish, but have everlasting life. And he comes and he declares, he says, I am the only way. And there is no other name under heaven whereby you must be saved. So if you say, if that's presented to you, Paul's in your court. You can choose one way or the other. What this verse is saying here is he did come to them. He did declare himself. Some people say Jesus never said he was God in the New Testament. Of course he did. Several, many times. And um, they did not acknowledge him. So this verse here, till they acknowledge their offense. What was their offense? The rejection of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's the only sin that cannot be forgiven. Then they will seek my face. Well, when will they seek his face? At the end of this period of time, after they've been broken. The last verse we read in Zechariah um, 13 is that then they will call upon me and I will be their God and they will be my people. Well, when does that happen? It says, in their affliction, they will diligently seek me. They're getting afflicted uh, during this terrible period of time. I do not believe there should be a break between chapter uh, verse 15 and the first two verses of chapter six. This is what they'll say from, from those that are still alive. They will say, come, let's return to the Lord. He has torn, he will heal us. He has stricken but he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. Now, this is interesting because, again, I mentioned on Sunday, um, a day with the Lord is like a thousand years, and a thousand years is like a day. And I think this is one of the scriptures that you can apply that to. How long has it been since Jesus was here? Oh, about 2,000 years. I mean, it's 2020. Why is it 2020? We mark time from the time Jesus was here. So after two days, he will revive us. So at the end of the seven-year period of time, um, they call upon him in their affliction. And on the third day, he will raise us up. Well, if a day again is a 1,000 years, now we're talking about a 1,000-year period of time and we may live in his sight. Now they're actually talking about living with their Messiah. How long is the millennium? What does millennium mean? It means a thousand years. So um, here we have, let's go back to Zechariah and piece it all together. That's the end of chapter 13. And so what we've gone through is the Lord cleansing the land of false prophets, demons, demons, Um, answering the question, where did you get the wounds in your hands? A prophecy 
of when Jesus is smitten that the sheep will scatter. Clearly, uh, Matthew points us right back to this verse. The tragedy of so many uh, Jewish people being killed, two-thirds, but one-third will be brought through the fire, and at the end of that period of going through this terrible period of time, they finally call out upon him. Chapter 14. Verse one. Could easily be a part of the last verse of of chapter 13. Behold, the day of the Lord. Again, there it is. The day of the Lord is coming. And your spoil will be divided in your midst. For I will gather all nations to battle against Jerusalem. The city will be taken. The houses uh, rifled. The women ravished. Half of the city will go into captivity, but the remnant of the people shall not be cut off from the city. Now, the important verse here to know what we're talking about is all nations. And when we talk about all nations coming against Jerusalem, we can only be referring to the Battle of Armageddon. We can't be talking about Ezekiel 38 or any other regional war. This is all nations coming against Jerusalem. Jerusalem, and it's um, much more, I think, much more detailed and instead of just saying two-thirds are going to die um, during this period of time. At the very end of it, we have the Battle of Armageddon, and um, after that, we switch gears in verse three. Then the nations will go forth and fight it. The Lord will go forth and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. So um, verse three here is a reference to Armageddon. Uh, And here's, I wanna walk you through the order of the second coming of Jesus Christ. In one place it says it comes with the armies of heaven. We're gonna read here it comes with, I think it says, yeah, verse five says, and all the saints will be with you. Either way, It is the second coming of Jesus Christ. But verse four, um, as we look at this order here, in verse four, and his feet will stand, uh, let's see if I wanna go there next. No, I don't, I wanna go somewhere else next. So when the Lord comes, before he puts his feet on the Mount of Olives, let, let, let me just take you through the order of events. They're broken. We got that much. They call out upon him. We got that much, right? The Lord returns, okay? Um, The question is, um, where does he return to and where does he he go and how does he end up in the next verse on the Mount of Olives? Go with me to Isaiah chapter 63 and let me walk you through the order and more detail given here in uh, the first four verses of Isaiah 63. It says, who is this that comes from Eden with dried garments from Basra? Okay, Uh, this is modern day Jordan. Uh, This would be in the area where Petra would be. And this is where they call out upon him. And this is... The question is, who is this guy who's coming from Jordan or Basra or Petra? 
the one who is glorious in his apparel, traveling in the greatness of his strength. I who speak righteousness, mighty to save. The question is, why is your apparel red and your garments like one who treads in the winepress? I have trodden the winepress alone. Remember, it's a sharp two-edged sword that comes out of his mouth. And um, basically, the sword of the spirit is what? The word of God. How did this universe and everything that's in it come into existence? By the word of God. He simply spoke it. I have trodden the wine press alone, and for the people no one was with me, for I have trodden them in my anger, and I have trampled them in my fury, and the blood is sprinkled upon my garments, and I have stained all my robes, for the day of vengeance is in my heart, and the year of my redeemed has come. They finally called upon him. And um, remember, they're three and a half years um, in hideout, lockdown, if you would. And um, they call out on the Lord. And Isaiah 63 gives us a little bit more information. But one of the things, it starts out with the question, who is this guy coming from Eden with blood all over his garments? It's not his blood. He's just judged the nations that have come against Jerusalem. So let's go back to Zechariah. Then the Lord will go out and fight against those nations as he fights in the day of battle. All right, so here's a progression. He comes and returns. He destroys those who come against and fight against Jerusalem. But now, evidently, he's uh, coming back and had some sort of acknowledgement of them calling out upon him, and I think it's Petra. It says in Isaiah, Basra, uh, Isaiah 16, it clearly tells us that Basra is a place that the Lord asks them to be protected, protect by outcasts. Now, as he's coming from Basra, now he shows up at Jerusalem. And so this is also a prophecy. And in that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which faces Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in two from east to west, making a a very large valley. Half of the mountain shall move toward the north and half of it towards the south. Turn with me to the book of Acts chapter one. He's talking about leaving them with the ability to lead the Christian life. In verse one, verse eight, he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, and all the ends of the earth. You can't do this on your own. Um, It has to be the Holy Spirit working through you, anointing you, equipping you. I believe every born-again Christian has a gift. The Bible tells us that it's the Spirit itself that determines who gets what and how much of what. And then it says, when verse nine, when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. And they said, men of Galilee, 
Why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, emphasis on same, who was taken up from you into heaven will so come again in like manner as you saw him go into heaven. The same, same one that goes up from the Mount of Olives, go back to Zechariah. In verse four, on that day his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives. Here's the progression. He judges the nations that come against Jerusalem. He goes to Petra, because that's what Isaiah says. Who is this coming from Petra with blood all over his garments? But then he comes to the Mount of Olives. The very spot where he left, the angel said the same Jesus is gonna come back to the same, same place. When we, when we go to Jerusalem, um, I have a favorite hotel, not because it's the nicest one in town, but it has the best view of the Mount of Olives and of the old part of the old city. And they have this great big pinnacle up there that, that um, uh, looks like some Egyptian thing. There's a great big pinnacle they call it uh, the Mount of Ascension. And um, it's almost humorous because they say, this is the very spot that Jesus went up to heaven from. <laughs> and I get a big kick out of that because, um, you know, I have A, B, and C sites. Well, I know that he went to heaven from the Mount of Olives. And I could say, that mountain right there, Jesus was on, and he went to heaven. But to say that this is the very spot that he went up from, no, nope. seaside, <laughs> somewhere around that area. But the fact that it exists today, and you can actually go and think, this is where the Lord is eventually gonna come and set his foot down, and when it does, earthquake, it is gonna split in two. And there's gonna be waters, it says, making a a large valley, and half of it towards the the south. Um, Then you shall, well, let me just see if I would've covered all of five. I don't wanna get too sidetracked here. Um, We know that during the millennial reign, if you're taking notes, it's Ezekiel 47. It talks about the temple. And coming out from the temple, um, waters flow down to the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is the saltiest body of water in the world. It's the lowest place on planet Earth. It says in Ezekiel that the waters that flow down there will heal the Dead Sea. And it'll be a place for fishermen to spread their nets. And... Um, this great valley that's going to be made, whether it's one or the same, I'll leave that up to you. But at this point, because there's not a millennial temple built yet, that oversight project is done by the Lord himself. This is simply him at his return. Verse five, then you shall flee through my mountain valley and the mountain valley shall reach to Azal. Yes, you will flee as you fled from the earthquake in the days of Uzziah, king of Judah. Thus the Lord my God will come and all the saints with you. Did you realize that you're in Zechariah chapter 14? Right here. We're the ones that return with him. And it's, it's different from the millennial saints. 
One is called the Bride of Christ. And um, we have a different role than those who went through the tribulation, but that's a whole Bible study within itself. Um, Verse six tells us it shall come to pass in that day that there will be no light. The light will be diminished. It shall be one day which is known to the Lord, neither day nor night, but at evening time it will happen that it will be light. And in that day it shall be that living waters will flow from Jerusalem, half of them towards the eastern sea and half of them towards the western sea. Now, here's my opinion on this. Just as we jumped ahead in chapter 13 from one thought project, where did you get the wounds in your hands, to a prophecy of the Lord being smitten and the disciples dispelled, we have a gap in time, obviously, here, and a change of thought and subject. It's very possible that what happened here when the Lord put his foot on the mountain, we know the temple wasn't built yet, but it's very possible what verse eight is moving ahead during the millennial reign, and all of, all of from chapter 40 in Ezekiel to 48 are all that happens during the millennial reign. Very detailed instructions and measurements on how the millennial temple is to be built. And that, in that chapter, Ezekiel 47, for sure, it tells us that waters will flow um, and they will be healing waters. And here it's called living waters, so um, I'm not gonna be dogmatic on any of it, but here we're told that their living waters shall flow from Jerusalem. Half of them go down to Eastern Sea, that would be the Dead Sea, and half of them towards the Western Sea, which would be the Mediterranean. In both summer and winter, it will occur. All right, now verses nine through, um, let's go through 11 here. We have the kingdom age and Jesus ruling over it. And the Lord shall be king over all the earth. Can somebody say amen to that? The Lord will be king over all the earth with no demonic activity. Longevity of life will be restored. No mosquitoes when you go camping. It's going to be great. And that day it shall be that the Lord is one and his name one. And the land shall be turned into a plain from Gibeah to Reman, south of Jerusalem. Jerusalem will be raised up and inhabited in her place from the Benjamin's gate to the place of the first gate and the corner gate and from the tower of Haniel to the king's winepress. Well, these are uh, future locations that tells us basically here uh, the landscape around Jerusalem is gonna be altered. Now if you visit Israel today, it's all up to Jerusalem. And it's very, very rugged. I mean, once you, once you um, begin going the backside, going east from the Mount of Olives, you're in wilderness. And it's nothing but wilderness. The only, only people, things living out there are the Bedouins. 
and they're they're sort of nomadic travelers who live very they live in tents and um basically that's all you all you see uh one of our favorite pr- places that we like to go is called um uh Genesis land uh you get to ride camels to Abraham's tent you get to um sit on a table that's just off the floor you sit on rugs and uh they they serve you traditional food that Abraham would have eaten. So you take your camel down there, you get a camel ride back. It's a great experience. They, they even got signs that said, uh, "Watch, look out for gazelles. <laughs> I've, I thought, there's still gazelles around? And sure enough, I, I've seen them twice at this particular place because evidently that's their breeding ground or where, where they like to hang out. But the view from there is so spectacular even though it is so much of a wilderness. It, is, it says that when Jesus was tempted, Satan took him out into where? The wilderness. And believe me, all around Jerusalem is wilderness. Now, what that's gonna change, Jerusalem is gonna be raised up. Everything else is gonna be made evidently flatter than it is today. The people shall dwell in it, and no longer shall they be utter destruction, but Jerusalem shall be safely inhabited. When has Jerusalem ever been peacefully inhabited? (laughs) Uh, During Solomon's time, because David sort of cleaned house up so that he could spend his time um, actually building Solomon's temple. All right. Uh, 12 through 15. And this will be the plague which the Lord will strike all the people who fought against Jerusalem. So now we're having more information on the Lord, what happened to them. And I think um, um, Indiana Jones stole this, this next verse here when he's telling his girlfriend when they're tied up to the pole, don't open your eyes. Keep your eyes shut. Everybody remember that? Okay, so this, this is what happens to them in the movie. Their flesh shall dissolve while they stand on their feet. I'm sure they stole it from this verse. Their eyes shall d- dissolve in their sockets and their tongues shall dissolve in their mouths. And I'm sure they stole this, this verse because that's exactly what's, what's going to come to pass. It will come to pass in that day that a great panic from the Lord will be among them. Everyone will seize the hand of his neighbor and raise his hand against his neighbor's hand. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem and all the wealth of the nations, surrounding nations, shall be gathered together, the gold, silver, apparel, in great abundance." Such also shall be the plague on the horse and the mule, on the camel, on the donkey. And on the camel there will be those camps, so shall this plague be. Now, the last uh, verses in the book of Zechariah are going to deal with those people that made it through the tribulation, and 
the Lord is going to require that everybody has to go to Jerusalem at least once a year. That we actually got a saying. See, see you next year in Jerusalem. And verse 16 says, it will come to pass that everyone who is left of the nations which came up against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the feast of tabernacles. So there's actually gonna be a feast that the Lord wants them to remember. This will continue on through the millennium. And if for some reason, say you're from Egypt saying, I don't wanna go, this is what's gonna happen. First of all, let me tell you what the, the, the feast of uh, tabernacle is it has another name called um, the feast of booths and um, uh, it falls on the on the 15th day of the seventh month five days after the day of atonement and you occupy you leave your home and you build a little house maybe seven by seven something like that and um, you live in it. And for the f- first and eight days um, of there, you'll take branches of a palm tree, leafy trees, willow, along with the fruit of uh, goodly trees, were used to make the booths. So it's made out of rough building materials, whatever you get your hands on, in which the Israelites dwelt seven days that your generation may know that I made the Israelites dwell in booths when I brought them out of the land of Egypt he wants to remember where they came from what they were delivered from now let's make it applicable okay why do we have communion we have communion he says do this in what remembrance of me there's only two things that the Lord asks us to do And one of them is remember where you came from, what he did for you. And we commemorate that by an outward symbolic act we call communion. The other thing is, it says believe and be baptized. It's not just believe, but be baptized, showing that number one, you're not ashamed to be called a Christian, and that you're actually acting out something. He said, I used to be alive to the old life. But by going down, according to Romans 6, he says it's like a death. And you're coming out just like Jesus did with the resurrection to a new life. Old things pass away. Behold, all things become new. Those are the two things he asks us to do. Now, he doesn't want the people during the millennium to ever forget. You were in bondage. For 40 years, you traveled. How did you live? You lived in these booths, and it was required that, um, I've actually had a, a, a Jewish friend that, that um, observes uh, the Feast of Tabernacles, and one of the things that they're required to do is to invite people in and be friendly to them and show kindness and gen- generosity. And um, um, you are also required, when you make these, to leave a little space. Uh, when you put the roof on, so that you could see the stars. And um, uh, my friend who took me through his, his, uh, his booth, 
even though I know about him. He was, I was pretending like I didn't know nothing. I wanted him to give me the Jewish perspective of why he does what he does. He says, Dwight, do you know why you're out here today? Because, because we're supposed to show kindness to somebody. And so I want you to come out for supper tonight, and I'll show you my booth. And I said, you got a deal. And so this is what they do from year to year. They'll do it throughout the millennial reign. And um, they also rejoice with family and servants, widows and orphans, Levites, the sojourners of the community, special sacrifices for the season uh, totaled, uh, would total 70 bulls. Uh, each seventh year, there was a public reading of the law. Um, we're told, it, it actually quotes, I got this out of my Bible encyclopedia today. <clears throat> the celebration is said to be different from anything done since the days of Joshua. Zechariah 14, 16 to 19, that's these verses here, envisions all nations coming up to Jerusalem year by year to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. The punishment for those who neglect it is that upon them no rain shall fall. But in the case of Egypt, um, it would be, uh, let's just finish reading it out here because it explains it better here. So, Verse 16 says, um, all nations of the world have to come to Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Verse 17, and it shall be that whichever of the families of the earth do not come up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, on them there will be no rain. If the family of Egypt will not come up and enter in, they shall have no rain. They will receive the plagues with which the Lord struck the nations who do not come up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that do not keep up, keep the Feast of Tabernacles. In that day, holiness to the Lord shall be engraved on the bells of the horses. The pots in the Lord's house shall be like the bowls before the altar. Yes, Every pot in Jerusalem and Judah shall be holiness to the Lord of hosts. Everyone who sacrifices shall come and take them and cook in them. And in that day there shall be no longer a Canaanite in the house of the Lord. End of the reading of the book of Zechariah. Let's stand and we will pray. Lord, we thank you. Uh, as we close tonight, sort of with mixed emotions when we realize, as you keep your promise of Daniel's 70th week, the time of Jacob's trouble, what they have to go through, this fire, in order for them to finally call out upon you so that you can return. We thank you, Lord, that we're in this part of your word in chapter 14, that when we come, that we come with you. And that's hard even to think about such a thing, Lord, but this is in your word and we know it's true. We know that we will, as your word tells us and you promise us, that we will rule and reign with you uh, for this thousand year millennial time. We thank you for your word as we finish this book and um, we pray as we go out tonight, Lord, just bless our fellowship, bless those here, bless those that are watching online. 
In Jesus' name I pray. All God's people said, amen and amen.